0: Daniel chapter 10, if you like the title of the message, the message is titled, He Gives Strength, He Gives Strength. So hopefully you're going to take some of those New Year's resolutions and really prayerfully think about what you can change for next year. The Bible talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. Bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. New Year's resolutions, January, usually brings about the feelings of, I need exercise, I want to get in shape, I want to be more disciplined. But how much better to be disciplined about your spiritual life because it talks about not just the life that is to come, but the life that is now. That there are benefits to actually preparing yourself, disciplining yourself now. So think about it, okay? Now turn to Daniel chapter 10. We are entering in the very last section in the book of Daniel. We've entitled the series, King of Kings. We've learned a whole bunch of things. Hopefully you remember some of those things. Like, for instance, that faith is an action word. Exactly. That if you say that you have faith, that your convictions should be put into action. We've learned that no matter what you're facing, no matter what trial you're going through right now in your life, that ultimately God is in control. He's sovereign. He is the king above every king. And Daniel saw this. His three amigos saw this because as they were put into the fiery furnace that Jesus was in the midst of that fiery trial, we saw a whole bunch of exciting things through prophecy, through visions, that God, knows all of human history that's happened and everything that's going to happen. So whatever you're going through in this life, you know that God knows all the details and what's going to come out to So instead of seeking our own wisdom, our own counsel, we're asking God, what do you have for us? That's why we're here on a Friday night. It's not just a hangout, which is great. Love making friends. I love people. But I want to know if God has something to tell me, I want to know that. Like God has an invitation for each and every one of you to become not just like, like God is like an additive to your life and like God makes your life better, but God actually, he's inviting you to become who you're meant to be. And you are all called into that. And so we're discovering as we look into the Bible, we're asking God like, all right, what do you want to speak to me? And he's, he's showing us more of himself and therefore more of who we're to po- supposed to be, which is exciting. So Daniel chapter 10 It's the conclusion of the book of Daniel, and what we're going to see is a narrative here, a little story of how Daniel gets this final vision, and then some wacky stuff. Not wacky like bad, it's just kind of bizarre. Like some of the stuff that we're going to read next week is going to be really confusing, but that's okay. I'm going to figure it out this week, and I'll tell you what it means next week. But tonight, we're going to get the final narrative, as Daniel's been through a lot. He's about 85 years old now. And in verses 1 through 3, it's going to set the stage for us in this final vision. Some wacky stuff's going to happen in this chapter too, so you're going to have to pay attention. You might have a lot of questions, we'll answer them afterwards. But I think there's a number of things here that's going to encourage us and leave us more excited and in love with Jesus. So, let's read Daniel chapter 10 verses 1 through 3 and we'll pray. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, nor no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Let's pray. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit speaks to us, teaches us, leads us into all truth tonight. Lord, there's so many different decisions we can make on a regular basis, but we want to make the ones that please you and lead us into the way that leads to life. And so we pray, Lord, that you show us. You don't let us get distracted in this moment so that we're able to leave comforted, Lord, and and just full of your peace, full of your wisdom. So we ask for your help now. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. So this is now taking place when Daniel's about 85 years old. And remember the last chapter, it was prophesied there would be a Messiah that would come to save people from their sins. But first, there's going to be the destruction of Jerusalem. So Daniel began to see the destruction of Jerusalem. And because of that, also he saw that King Cyrus was this guy that was prophesied even 100 years before King Cyrus was even born. In the book of Isaiah, he's called by name to actually rebuild the temple In Jerusalem and so this is prophesied even before the dude's born this is human history so King Cyrus now is making this proclamation and Daniel being 85 years old isn't part of the rebuilding team instead a whole bunch of Israelites go back to Jerusalem to start rebuilding the temple but if you compare it with the book of Ezra which I'm doing in my devotions right now the book of Haggai what you see is the people they go down and they enter into complications So they want to rebuild the temple so that people can start worshiping God and all those different things. Remember, this is the Babylonian captivity. So because of that, all these um, Jerusalem was ransacked. All the gold that was in God's temple and stuff was brought into their pagan gods and, and whatever. Nebuchadnezzar just took all the stuff and stole it from God. But now it's starting to go back. But when they're starting to rebuild, they encounter opposition. And so people start putting a stop to the work on the temple. The people get discouraged because there's persecution. And then they start building their own houses. They're like, well, if we're not allowed to build a temple, what are we going to do? I guess we might as well build our own houses. And then if you open it to the book of Haggai in the first chapter, he says, is this the time to be building your own house while the temple is in ruins? How many of us, when we enter persecution, because what we're doing for the Lord seems to actually be negative in our lives, we give up and we start working on Whatever makes us happy, whatever makes us successful. Listen, Jesus said, in this world, you will endure persecution. In this this life that you live, you will have different tribulations and trials, but be of good cheer because Jesus has overcome the world. Amen? God is with you. And so when we start encountering opposition, it is not the time to just give up. Some of you here I know for sure you're feeling like it's time to give up because you've encountered opposition. But the good news is that God knows that you're encountering opposition, but he's using this time to test you to see whether or not that you're going to quit. Whether or not you're going to quit and put trust in yourself or trust the Lord. Listen, there will come a time in your life where you're going to have to ask yourself, do I choose friends in the world or do I choose the family of God? Do I choose the things of the world or the things of God? The kingdom of the world or the kingdom of God? But when we know that every good and perfect gift is from above, that God gives it to us, then we know that even despite what it seems that we can trust the Lord knowing that he will withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly. The way of the righteous will always prosper. It says in Psalm chapter one, remember? But the way of the wicked will always lead to destruction. It's wisdom. It's, if God is real and God has told us the way to live life, then we know if we seek him in his right hand or, or his joy and, and pleasures forevermore, and to actually depart from his ways will only lead to more suffering and more death. Listen, if your goals do not include God, you're gonna be in trouble. And so this is what was happening with the people of Israel. They were getting discouraged. Haggai tells him like, hey, listen, you, you take care of God's house, he's gonna take care of your business. This is what Jesus said, right? Seek first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else is going to be added unto you. Super simple. You worry about what you're supposed to be faithful with today and God worries about tomorrow. This is the Christian way. But so many people forget that because they, they need to be in control. Oh, but if this relationship doesn't work out, I don't know. I, just, I probably will be single forever. So I just got to like, I just got to go with it, even if it doesn't seem right. You be faithful. You be obedient with what you know God's called you to do. And he will reward you. With faith, it is impossible to please God. But he who comes to God and knows that He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him are the ones who are going to be rewarded. We have to come to God in that kind of a way. And so Daniel is discouraged. He sees this vision and sees what the people of Israel are going through at this time. The temple is going to be rebuilt. Jesus has to, to be born. This, this whole thing's going to happen. We're going to be safe from our sins. You know, back in their day, they're looking forward. That has to happen. But Daniel's looking at all this, and he's in turmoil. He's like, what do I do? And so he starts fasting for three weeks. He's praying. God, why is this happening? God, explain. God, I need an answer. For three whole weeks, he gets nothing. What do you do when it seems like your prayers aren't being answered? How do you respond? Do you lose faith? Honestly, do you start doubting? Like you pray and you're like, Lord, I really need you to show me. Like, do you want me to go to school? I'm a senior and I need to, you know, I need to apply to different schools. And it seems like God's not clear. So what do you do? Lord, I'm praying about this relationship and I just need you to know, like, what do you think? Do you approve? Do you not approve? He doesn't answer. What do you do? How do you respond when it seems like God is not giving you an answer? Because that shows us where our faith is. Is our faith in a perceived outcome? Is our faith in whether or not God responds in the way that we want? Or is our faith in God that despite how he will answer, that he will eventually answer? And whether he says yes, whether he says no, or whether he says keep on waiting, we can know that God's thoughts towards us are only thoughts of goodness and love and peace. He has your best interest in mind and his own glory in mind. But this is where it says the message was true, but the appointed time was long. Maybe that's how you feel, right? God's message is always true. His word is true. But the promise seems so far off. What do you do? It's been said it's too soon to quit. And I would say the same thing is true for us. That when the message is true, the point in time is long, that we remember that the Lord will be faithful with his promises. There, the Bible says that one of the signs of the times that Jesus is returning is that people are going to be scoffing, making fun of whether or not the rapture is real. Like, is God really going to come back? Really? Like, we actually believe that? I don't know. Like, you're looking like God's going to come down from the clouds? That seems kind of like, I don't know if that's true. Like, God predicts, it, predicts that this is going to happen in the last days because people are going to say, like, he hasn't come back for 2,000 years. How do we know it's not going to be another 1,000 years? But that's not what we're supposed to do is estimate what time he's coming back. Just live every day like it's our last. Live every day as if Jesus could come back right now so that we're living in a way that pleases him. We're ready. If the Bible describes his second coming as a wedding, we're constantly ready for that day. We're not just chilling in our pajamas. We got our wedding clothes on because we're ready to receive The king. So let's continue on, see what else it says. Now on the twenty-fourth day of the first month, verse four, as I was by the side of the great river that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with the gold of Uphaz. I mean, that's that's awesome, right? Like everybody wants the gold of Uphaz. What's that? His body was like barrel. His face was like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude. Now, many people actually believe that this is actually a pre-incarnation Jesus. It's a fancy word of saying that Jesus, before he actually came as a human being, like maybe this is a vision of Jesus, because in Revelation, there's a very similar description of what Jesus looks like With this, So you can compare that Revelation, I believe, chapter 1, if you want to look on your own time. Verse 7. But I think I'm kind of like skeptical about that. I'll show you why. But verse 7. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone when I saw this great vision. And no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words... I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. Love that. So basically he's describing like, I saw this great vision. I lost all strength and then I'm on the ground and my face is to the ground. What happened? He fainted apparently. Like this vision of this angelic being or even maybe Jesus, whatever it was, was so powerful that he lost all of his strength. He was just flat on his face in a bowing posture, right? He just couldn't do anything. So now he's, like, all freaked out, and all of his friends leave. Like, thanks, friends. You guys are great because you just leave me to die with this angel who's going to kill me or whatever. I have no idea. But it says, verse 10, Suddenly, a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, Oh, Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling now it reminds me of you know in the chronicles of narnia you have the lion uh the witch in the wardrobe i almost said the lion and the lamb the lion the witch in the wardrobe that movie or the book and uh saying i don't remember who but the question about aslan the lion saying is he safe he's like safe he's not safe but he's good you know that god is so powerful he's the most powerful being in the entire universe period you can't compare Satan with God, okay? So some people like, are like, oh, Satan's fighting this giant war, and it's crazy, and like God's like, oh, i got to keep him back. And No, God is just the most sovereign person on the planet, okay? He gave everybody everything that they have, including their wills, everything, okay? So there's no one that can compare with God. So that being the case, if God wanted to, he could wipe all of us out. Like if you were God and you had a temper tantrum one day, you just wipe it, ah, I just really don't care about those people, and just kill them, right? Like, imagine Jesus going to the cross and just like, I'm fed up with this. I, I'm not going to exterminate everybody, just like a couple people. and just, like, blows people up, you know? Like, I would do that, but Jesus doesn't do that. And he, he calls to Daniel, even though he has a, he's a tremendously powerful being. Says to Daniel, you are greatly beloved. Whether it's Jesus, angelic being. The point is that a messenger from God tells Daniel, though he has the power to destroy him, That you are greatly beloved. And I think that's in the model of Jesus, is is it not? That though God could punish us for our sins, and we know. We've done some bad things. But God loves us. That's always been his attitude towards us. He doesn't want to punish people. He doesn't want to, like, exterminate people. He wants all of us to stop harming ourselves and harming others and come to repentance. To say, I don't want to do this anymore. I need you to take control. And that should be a response to Jesus. That should always be a response. So this is what happens. Verse 12. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone with, there with the kings of Persia. Now I have come to you come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days for the vision refers to many days yet to come okay hold on are any of us reading the same bible now there are a lot of scholars that legitimately believe that this is the pre-incarnate jesus but if that's the case it says that there was a guy named the prince of persia that actually withstood him for 21 days so remember how daniel was waiting for like the answer to his prayers like okay where's my answer and he was like, hey, oh, actually, I couldn't because, like, there's this guy named the Prince of Persia, and he withstood me for 21 days. I had to ask for backup, the, uh, Michael the archangel, and he came. He helped me out, and now here I am. So that's why it took me so long. And all of us are like, yes, that makes sense. Let's move on. Like, what the heck? That, that's crazy, right? Like, some of the things in the Bible, it should make you, like, put question marks all over it, okay? That's how I feel sometimes. And some of the most basic teachings in the Bible, it's like I've read that all the time like growing up and stuff and you look at that a little bit closer and like that's kind of crazy i never saw that was there like this might trip you out and this is like totally a tangent but that's okay there's like a verse i think it's in ezekiel where it talks about like god is like really mad at the witches that like hunt for souls and keeps them in their sleeves like look that up it's bonkers like what does that even mean and you look at the commentaries and stuff like we have no idea what this means And so, like, some of the stuff in the Bible, I think we should actually wrestle with and sit down. And it's okay. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to look at stuff and be really confused. Because sometimes when it's your own question and you put down your own answer next to it, then you feel like, wow, this is something that I saw and I got an answer. And so that when someone has a similar question, you can answer it because you've had the same question yourself. So, anyway, that's a long way of saying don't really know what that means. But that sounds pretty cool, right? Okay, so this is what I think This is why I think it's not Jesus, because Jesus doesn't like fight with people. He just wins. And it seems like there was this thing called the Prince of Persia, which we know is not an actual person. The Prince of Persia is a demon or some kind of satanic being or satanic angelic being or whatever, because angels don't fight against humans. That doesn't make any sense. Like imagine an angel's like, oh yeah, this guy's really strong and he fought me off. That that doesn't work that way. Most likely, and this is going to really trip you out, okay? So, like, think about this. And if you want to pay attention, that's fine, but let like, trip me out. So, apparently, just as Michael the archangel and there's different angels that are kind of assigned different regions, apparently Satan does that too, where he takes certain, like, satanic beings or demonic beings and he puts them over different regions and makes them, like, kind of, like, in control of certain areas. So that's why he's the prince of Persia. So really weird to think about, like, maybe, like, over America, there's, like, a demonic entity that is responsible for deceiving everybody, maybe for materialism or maybe to worship a certain aspect of idolatry. Who knows? But this is what it seems like, at least in this passage. So whoever this angelic being is, though he's enormously powerful— he was withstood by the Prince of Persia, who is a demonic being, and they had to call for backup. Michael comes, helps him out, and he's like, Here I am! And he helps him out again and gives him the message, which is great. It leaves us a lot of questions. But I think there's a couple takeaways that's, that's really easy for us to, to see. The first one is this there is a real spiritual battle going on every day. A real spiritual battle going on every single day. We may not see it. But if we had eyes to see what's going on on a regular basis and we actually called it out, I think it would save us from a lot of anguish, iniquity, maybe like even sin itself, you know, to be able to to look at certain temptations and say there's actually a demonic presence behind this. You know, like when you feel tempted on certain days versus others, you're like, why the heck do I have these thoughts? That's weird. Maybe, maybe it's a demonic temptation. Maybe there's something going on because... What I found to be true is that anytime there's an opportunity to indulge in temptation, there's also an opportunity to be able to walk in the spirit, to be able to do something for the Lord. So I try to think about it like this. Whenever you're like super tempted and whatever your struggles are, maybe it is pornography, whatever, think about it like this way. Anytime that you're about to indulge in whatever temptation it is, maybe there's some Great opportunity for the gospel, great opportunity to seek the Lord, and that's why this powerful temptation is coming in at that moment. Pure speculation, I found it to be true, actually. I mean, it makes sense. Why would Satan waste his time tempting you with things when he doesn't really have to? Except when he knows there's an opportunity, when he knows that there's a calling on your life. Don't think it's strange, my brethren, when you enter the fiery trial that is to try you. Right? This is what 1 Peter says. Don't think it's strange when you're going through all these temptations because maybe God has a call on your life, and he wants to do things in your life. And Satan knows that too, and that's why he's attacking you. right? If, if Satan is a strat- uh, strategy expert, he's looking to take down the people that have the most opportunities. So the good news is, with the temptation, God always provides the way of escape that you can endure it. But that's why we need to seek the Lord. The Bible says, Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of your flesh. Easy. It's impossible to be walking in the spirit and indulging in the flesh at the same time. If you want to be free from sin, easy. Be self-sacrificial. If you do it that way, it's impossible to sin. If you're trying to help others, you're loving God, loving other people, you can't be loving yourself. It's impossible. But you're outward focused, and God gives you the, the ability to do it. So look for those opportunities when there's spiritual attacks So important, and that we always bring it back to prayer. So anyway, so we know this is why it was delayed. This is the reason. That's great. So I think the second takeaway, not only is there a spiritual battle every single day, second, it teaches us patience and persistence in prayer. Patience and persistence in prayer. Remember what we were talking about before? What is your attitude? How do you respond when you enter into a trial and when God doesn't seem to respond, when you pray and you don't get an answer, what is your attitude? Okay, m- probably not like a demonic entity delaying the angel from coming. Probably not. I don't know, maybe. But I know no matter what, no matter why God may choose to delay his response, I know our attitude always has to be that we are going to set our hearts to understand. This is verse 12, okay? Set our hearts to understand, number one, And number two, that we humble ourselves. That we purpose in our heart, saying like, okay, I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why God hasn't answered up until this point. But I'm going to purpose in my heart that I'm not going to make any decision until I'm convinced that I have God's approval. I'm not going to go against my conscience. I'm going to be convinced in my heart that I know I'm doing the will of God. Do you set your heart to understand? Or do you give up? You prayed for a week. I tried fasting for one day and like nothing happened. So therefore, I guess God's okay with it. All right. No, like Ashley, sit down and let's pray. Listen, this is a struggle of mine too. I'm not patient at all. It's so easy with today and you got like Amazon Prime, you got movies on demand, you have Netflix, you have everything you want at your fingertips. It is so hard to just wait. What do we do in waiting rooms? We're on our phones, texting people. It's like, we don't have to wait anymore. There's this thing called boredom when I was a teenager. Like, actually happened. Like, sitting in your car. Oh, gosh. It was terrible. Going on a road trip with your parents. Imagine. For hours. And there's nothing else to do. You're just looking, and you play, like, games. You, like, have your imagination. You're imagining, like, imaginary creatures jump around and stuff. That's what I used to do. They're still here. Imaginary friends. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> like, Alan has a problem. No. But... We need to be teaching ourselves the discipline of patience. It's a fruit of the Spirit, is it not? Of joy, peace, patience. Yes, it is. I have to check. Oh, almost misquoted the Bible. Okay. It is, fruit of the Spirit. To learn how to be patient. So important. So, patience and prayer means I love this acronym. It's super corny, super cheesy, but it's always worked. It's stuck in my head for like 10 years. Maybe you've heard it before. PUSH. Have you heard that before? What's that stand for? Oh, no one knows this. Great. I made this up 10 years ago. Now I'm kidding. PUSH is pray until something happens. Pray until something happens. Man, I can't believe you've never heard that. Okay. Anybody hear that before? Anybody? My goodness, that's crazy. Okay. Pray until something happens. Now, it's cheesy, it's corny, but It works. Apparently, I remember it. That when you're in your prayer closet, and listen, pray specifically, too. Don't pray generally, because how will you know if your prayer is answered? Lord, I pray that you bless that person. How do you know if your prayer is answered? I don't know. But if you're praying specifically, Lord, that person really wants to go on the retreat. I don't know how you're going to make it happen, but I pray that you provide the money so that they go on the retreat. And you see them on the retreat. Wow, my prayer was answered. That's pretty cool, right? So pray specifically until something happens. But be okay when God doesn't answer in the timing that you like. Man, so frustrating being a single person when I was a teenager. Lord, bring somebody into my life. And I'm so glad he said no all those times. I would be completely out of my mind right now. I still am. But I would have made terrible decisions. Be okay when God says no, okay? Or when he says to wait. Because God has your best interests in mind. He He knows what he's doing. So, let's continue on. Verse 15. When he had spoken such words to me, I turned my face toward the ground and became speechless. And suddenly, one having the likeness of the sons of men, touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke, saying to him who stood before me, My Lord, because of the vision, my sorrows have overwhelmed me, and I have retained no strength. For how can this servant of my Lord talk with you, my Lord? As for me, no strength remains in me now, nor is any breath left in me. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, oh man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Underline that in your Bible if you can. And it's not like weird to do that. Let my Lord speak. For you have strengthened me. Your last takeaway for tonight is this. God gives strength to those who have none. God gives strength to those who have none. Man, I need that word. I don't know about you. But there are times that I am so discouraged. I can point to times in my life where I wanted to give up on everything. I want to give up. Times in my life where I thought I would never be good at anything. Times in my life I felt like inadequate, couldn't make eye contact with certain people because I just had no confidence at all in who I was. But at those times where you feel like you have no strength, there's good news that God can strengthen you. All you need is a touch from Jesus. Is there anyone here tonight? You don't have to raise your hand. Is there anyone here tonight? Everyone look up here. Anyone here that needs a touch from Jesus that you're at, like, your wit's end. You're just, like, giving up on everything. Good news is, that's all you need. To pray, Lord, I am so discouraged. Would you please just give me a touch? Will you just strengthen me? I think I've shared this story before, but it's worth sharing because a lot of you are freshmen. I don't think you heard this. I remember, like, one of the most discouraging days of my life. It was not too long ago, actually. I don't even know why, but you just, sometimes you just have those days. Maybe it's a demonic attack. I have no idea. But those days, you're just like, man, I just don't see how anything in my life is going to work out. You're, like, super dramatic. And I prayed. I was like, Lord, would you just give me a little bit of encouragement? Would you encourage me? I just prayed that. Went to bed. Next day, I get a handwritten letter in the mail addressed to me from a pastor I only met once at a conference, like, months before that. And in the letter, it was, like, the most encouraging letter in there. And he's just like, the best is yet to come, you know, and just— like, the guy, who like, hardly even knows me. He wrote me a letter. and I was like, oh, my gosh. That is the answer to my prayer I prayed yesterday. That was the most encouraging thing. Like, I was at my, at my super low, and the next day I was at a high because I knew that God loved me so much that he had a pastor to reach out to me. And listen, not only can God do that for you, but God can use you to do that to others. Did you know that? Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing that if you actually started texting people Bible verses and you found out like in texting them that verse they're like how did you know that that's the one thing I've been praying for? How did you know that that's the verse that I needed? You won't know unless you're asking God prayerfully every day Lord would you use me? Would you, I want to be available I want to do stuff like that so would you use me to just share with other people? And then you're sitting around and you're like alright who should I text? And then sometimes you just try it you're like right, I'm going to text this person the worst thing that can happen is like thanks for the irrelevant Bible verse that's semi-encouraging at this time of my life. But other times, as I've seen, countless times I'm sharing with people, and they're so encouraged and so thankful. And you're like, man, i got to do that more often. When when you feel like you have no strength, God can give it to you, okay? Now, for those of you that don't believe in Jesus, or maybe you're on the fence, here's what I would say. In this world, you're always going to be drained by any aspiration you have. Guaranteed. Whatever you want to do, it's always going to be draining. Why? because your expectations of yourself will always be higher than what you're actually able to accomplish. Everyone's aspirations. Everyone wants to be up here. I'm amazing. I'm good at everything I do. I get straight A's. I get into every school I want. Everyone wants to be my friend. And the reality is like down here, like nobody wants to be my friend today and no one asked me to hang out and it doesn't seem like I'll ever get married and you're just looking at like real life. All of your aspirations will always be up here and your actual life will be down here. Only Christianity says, hey, listen, but to the least of these, the person that feels like they're just completely a misfit in the world, God loves you, even if nobody else does. God has called you and wants to use you, invites you to be a part of his amazing masterpiece, his amazing story, invites you into that. All you have to do is say yes. All right, I don't want to live my life anymore. I don't want to live for these expectations because I can't. I can't do that. It's way too much. And you notice that people come to church and they think they're supposed to be a good person and they're crushed by that because like, I can't be a good, good person, but that's the good news. All of us are bad people. We all recognize it. And we're just looking at Jesus and what he did on the cross and saying, that's what I need. I need you to do that for me. And he says, all right, I'm going to take over now. It's going to take time. But if you let me, I'm going to make you a new creation. And so we should not be surprised when there's drama, when people do all kinds of weird things in church because we're all broken people. We're all messed up. We all do bad things. But if you give it time, watch the amazing community and family that God brings out of people dedicated to loving him and loving each other. Imagine the friendships you can have and the depth of relationships where no matter what's happened in your life, no matter how much hurt you've caused each other, that actually you've forgiven each other. And because you love each other, you've gone past it. And you're like, we've been friends for 25 years. Because here's, the, here's the reality, okay? If it doesn't happen in church, it's going to happen in your marriage. You think you're going to get married and never have an argument? You're never going to hurt each other? You are living in a false reality, ladies and gentlemen. This happens. Or so I hear. I don't know. I'm not married. But I think, ask married people. There's married people here. The point is that you will in this life hurt each other. But imagine if the Christian community was one that you actually said, you know what? I get it. I don't, they had a bad day. We all have bad days. Let's love each other. Let's forgive each other. And that's a community that's rare because every other community is always insecure, always worried. And you know it, those of you that aren't believers or followers of Jesus, those of you that maybe are even, the communities in the world, it's as long as you don't become my enemy, I will love you. As long as you don't do something that really hurts me, I will love you. And so your relationships are actually very fragile. Even family relationships can be very fragile because the minute someone does something, cheats on somebody else or says this about somebody else or does something really bad, now you're cut off from the family. It happens, but it should not be the case in the family of God. No matter what you've done, you're welcome here. You have a seat at the table because we've all done bad things and yet God gives us strength to love one another. We're not doing this because we're like better than everybody else. We're doing this because God has touched our hearts and we've all recognized There's power in recognizing that none of us have the ability to be good people on our own. Instead, we look at what Jesus has done for us that he forgave us when we were enemies of him. And that is transforming. That makes us fall in love with him. And so we can't help but love other people. That's just who we are. We're lovey people. lovey-dovey people. So, I don't know why I said that. It's ruined it. Okay. Last verse, and we're done. So, verse 20 he said, do you know why I have come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. Love that. <laughs> I have to go, I actually have to finish that battle. So I'll, I'll be back. When I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. Who's that? No idea. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one holds me against these except Michael, your prince. And that's kind of the end of the chapter. Kind of a weird break. I don't know if you knew this. This is another kind of like tangent. But the verse numberings in the Bible are not inspired. Maybe you didn't know that. Like, there's normal people that about 600 years ago just put numberings so it'd be useful. But sometimes they, like, do a really bad job of it. And here's one example. Because, like, you'll, you'll even see the parentheses starts in verse 21 and then ends in verse 1 of chapter 11. It's like, why did you do that? I had no idea. We'll ask him when we get to heaven. Um, but we'll just stop there for the sake of time. Everyone look up here. I'll say this last thing, and we'll be done. So this whole message... It's about that God gives strength to those who wait on him. Is that not Isaiah, right? The, even the youths will grow weary. You ever see toddlers? And they seem like they'll never get tired, but they fall asleep. They go to bed early, right? And then they wake up in the middle of the night. They're crazy. Even youths will grow weary, but those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll rise up on wings like eagle, eagles. They will walk and not be weary. They'll run and not faint. If you want that kind of strength... There's only one thing you got to do. You put your faith in God. You wait on the Lord. Faith is an action word. So what are you going to do? How are you going to end this year? Are you going to say, like, all right, wrote those things down? That's, that was good. The one night. Or are you going to take them and say, all right, I want to change some things. I want God to change me. I want to be a new person. I want to maximize my time here on the earth. So by faith, I'm going to start putting that into practice. I'm going to start praying about things. Pray for other people. I'm going to go on the retreat, and I'm going to seek the Lord, not talk to my best friends, which is great too. But I'm going to seek the Lord because he's wonderful, he's beautiful, and he loves you. And he's worth every bit of time that you give him. So let's pray.